We did a podcast a few years back titled Backsman, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. And in this six-part series, hosts Tyrone Miller and Justin Barney find that answer eventually. It also so happens that this year is hip-hop's 50th anniversary. So to honor Milwaukee and the anniversary, we decided for the month of September that we will be recapping Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. Are you ready? Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song with 88.9 DJ Tyrone Miller and music director Justin Barney. On this episode of Backspin... 80s was a very interesting time for music. Okay. It was very, very wide open. Back when I was on the air, you could bring your crate in, you could play whatever you wanted to play. I mean, we put Milwaukee in the map. It's just it's just the truth. When you're 18, 19 years old on the radio, you really don't know what you have. <laughs> I, I laugh now because I look back at it and yeah. say, man, we were really, we were really powerful. This is Backspin. I remember, I've told you about Marvell. Marvell right. did a whole lot of stuff. So who is Marvell Love? Okay, I'm just going to steal your line, which you say all the time. Marvell Love was the businessman with a business plan. Marvell Love saw the opportunity. He saw the business side of this whole equation. Yeah. In the Milwaukee music scene, you got there's the skating rinks, there's people in the clubs, there's people listening to music, and uh, there's record stores on every corner. And you know what those record stores are full of? What are record stores full of? They're full of records. Oh, okay. I didn't know. <laughs> and people are listening to music on the radio, too. Yeah. And on the radio, you have to play records. There's no other way to play music on the radio besides records. And in Milwaukee, during this time, late 70s, early 80s, it was WNOV. Mm -hmm. It was WMSC with the two radio stations playing this black music. And they're playing them off of records. And so Marvell Love was a musician in the mid-70s. He sees... Some of the first Milwaukee, the first burgeoning famous Milwaukee musicians. Yeah, Harvey Scales, yeah. huge soul artist, very popular for years and years after hey, the 70s. Do it, yes. you know, I've been in and out and out and in every So he time. sees these artists starting to become famous. Right. Wants to become famous himself. He's right. a musician. And so he needs to get his music out there. So he starts a record label. Mm-hmm. He starts this record label called New World Records, and he wants to make and promote his own music, and he also wants to bankroll and make <laughs> money off of this Milwaukee music scene. He wants to make Milwaukee into Motown. And, and that's crazy to think that if you want to get your own record out, you'll start your own record label. Dude, You're just not just you going to find somebody and say, hey, you labels out there, let me put my song on your, let me get signed. No, I'm going to just make my own music, start a label, print my own records, do all my things. That's crazy. Dude, this is what you had to do back in the day. Yeah. I mean, you had to book studio time. Right. You had to, you know, order vinyl. You right, right, had, right. You, like, you had to do the thing. We see so many artists now who are independent. Like, as an artist now, you have to be independent, you have to do your own thing. You have to, there's no research and development anymore. You just have to right. be an established artist now. So he already kind of had that blueprint 40 years ago to say, I'm going to do it all myself. I'm going to sign everybody else and make it happen on my own. So we would love to talk to Marvell Love for this story because he is probably my favorite character in this. But 
uh, unfortunately, Marvel Love has passed away. But the, the, you know, the great thing that he left us with New World Records is the catalog of the record label itself. And the thing that I like about the story and the thing that I like about a catalog is that things are cataloged. There are numbers. They're printed on a label. You can see them. And so the one person that has invested their life probably more than anybody else in Milwaukee to the cataloging of records is Andy Noble. Andy Noble used to own Lotus Land Records in River West back in the day. He's been digging crates on Milwaukee's north side, south side, east side, west side. He does the get down where he spins old school, obscure, rare 45s. And he owns this record store called We Buy Records in River West currently. He's the closest thing that we have to a Milwaukee music historian. I would call him a Milwaukee music historian. He's a wealth of knowledge and a passionate listener of Milwaukee music. So on this cold day in February, I went out to We Buy Records in River West, went into their back room, and we cleared some records off a couch, and I talked to Andy Noble. Could you give us like a landscape of where Milwaukee music and maybe Milwaukee music as a whole was in the late 70s and early 80s? Sure. So, I mean, as it relates to this story, I would say with Marvel Love's label, um, New World, he had, um, well, a bunch of independent black labels had sprouted out from the late 60s on, as happened all over America. Um, New World was, from what I can tell, just as a collector, it was like Marvell had records as an artist in the 60s, right, that were on other people's labels. New World, his label, would have really aligned itself with, like, the proper disco era, meaning, like, it went from, like, the, you know, early, mid-70s, 74-ish, to, like, when you started to hear, like, the beginning of, like, Philly soul kind of disco. Um through till the mid 80s shake your body And disco isn't the only thing that Marvell was printing and recording. This is the era of genres. There are multiple genres, and Marvell Love took a hack at a bunch, uh, including gospel, which Andy remembered in our conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? He's, he tried a, a gospel imprint, and the Masonic Wonders have a really good gospel funk song from the uh, early 80s called I Call Him. But it's on an imprint... I'll find you the imprint name. He tried to start a gospel sub-label, and it was, it's a real good record. It's like the best Masonic Wonders track. I called, I called, he heard me, he gave me peace of mind in my But it's not New World. They gave it a different name, which is also really common. world has you know some quality stuff on it um it's mostly what you'd expect from the era like harmony a lot of male harmony groups 
backed by rhythm tracks that would, you know, appropriate for the era. So it's more more like disco. Some some of the groups were more like blatantly like funk. This is not to say that Marvell was the only guy. There were more record labels in Milwaukee. But if you want to count things that had where somebody was running it and consciously saying like this is a record label and we want to get a roster together and we want to promote the artists and blah 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 that kind of proper label there wasn't a million but there was a handful so he was he was one of those i think at that time everywhere not just milwaukee within black music there was harmony groups that were singing like proper song songs that were and a lot of ballads and a lot of times those, those groups would their biggest hits would be ballads So get this song to your head and keep it there for a while. It does become valuable. And not just valuable for this story, but just in life, man. The key to love is understanding. That <laughs> such a profound statement. You're telling me. So getting back to Marvel Love, he has this independent record label, and now he's trying to find a place to play it on the airwaves. And luckily in Milwaukee, there are some independent radio stations that would play his music. First, there's WAWA. Next is WNOV on the AM, a black-owned radio station that was playing black music that other white radio stations wouldn't play. And this is the and you know this is the sound of the type of music that Marvel Love was making, so it was a perfect home for that. Totally. And then in 1981, WMSC pops up. It's this new open format radio station, and they are literally playing whatever they want. They're taking their record collection from home, bringing it to the radio station, dropping the needle on all these hot records that they know are hot because they're hearing it in the community, in the parties, everywhere. So this little this musical subculture finds a place on the air, and then it can find its way back into the city of Milwaukee. I talked with one of the original DJs of WMSC, Too Tough Tony, and I love that name. If there's a better radio name out there, I have not heard it. Uh, and he was part of the Cold-Blooded Six Pack, which is the lineup of the original six DJs on WMSC. Can I put these in? Yeah, see if they fit. Go ahead. And you can tell he it's been a while since he's been on air. Testing one, two. Oh, yeah, dude. Uh-oh. <laughs> that was it, dog. Hold on. Hey, he was really excited to get back into the studio and put some headphones yeah, on. <laughs> see, now that's a studio. <laughs> yeah, it's one thing. I spent nights, nights, nights at WMSC, man. Yeah. We'd be there till, seriously, two in the morning, man. Yeah. I mean, we put Milwaukee in the map. It's just, it's just the truth because of open format. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else, you had radio stations like WAWA, NOV, Super Soul 16, all of them had formats, you know. At MSC, it was nothing but freedom. Too Tough Tony started as a student at MSOE and became a DJ at MSC. I started going to college there a couple months later, like August 10th, I was moving in, you know, going towards dorms and stuff like that. Um, I got an MSC September. Uh, I remember because it was close to Mexican independence, and that made me proud because I'm, I'm Hispanic. I'm mm-hmm. Mexican-American. Um, but I like to say Hispanic-Latino because I grew up with Cubans, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans. You know, I worked for the Puerto Rican organization since I was 14 years old. So, you know, when I say Latinos, Hispanics, you know, um, but it was Mexican around Mexican Independence Day. Uh, so September 15th, 16th, right around there, I remember getting on MSE with Barry Johnson. And, you know, 
not just because I grew up in the era, but I, I, I can back it up. 80s was a very interesting time for music. Okay. It was very, very wide open. Yeah. I mean, you had your top 40. You had rock music. You had crossover. I mean, when you got, you know, rap coming into the to scene, you got house music coming into the scene. You got freestyle. You got dance music. You had techno music. Mm-hmm. You had uh, top forty, like I said. You had you you had crossovers. I mean, you know, when you have in the eighties, Run DMC on stage with you know Aerosmith singing, right. you know, my Adidas uh, walk this way. You know, it was wide open. So that so that's what all you were playing all of that on your show. Yeah, because it was so, you know, like I said, it was an open format, and we were DJs that actually took requests. I mean, our, our program director was a student, and then Bob Betts came in mm-hmm. and just said, "Play so that people would listen." And on the AM, you had stations like WNOV, which was black owned and played black music. We talked to Pierre Hall, aka. Rockman Jr. Uh, the white radio stations at that at that time would not play a black song unless it was falling off of the charts, and then they would play it, mm. and then it would sound like a new song to people that listen to FM radio. Yeah. But if you listen to AM radio, the song was old. You'd be yeah. like, "Why are they playing that song? It's old." Yeah. But it was set on the charts, on the top ten for so long. And as soon as it drops off the top ten, that's when they start playing it, and that was that was their their system. And while NOV was a commercial radio station, they did have a little bit of wiggle room. Back when I was on the air, you could bring your crate in, you could play whatever you wanted to play, you can go to request line, you could play request, you know, you can give somebody a shout out. It was more R&B stuff on the radio yeah. then, your cameos and your stuff like that. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, rap music eventually ended up taking out R&B. And at WNOV, it was still a commercial station, and when they got records from the label, the label still wanted them to play their singles. And back then, what they would do at the radio station is they would put these stickers on the on the record, right? So you wouldn't play it. Okay. Like those little round, yeah, stickers, little color, color stickers. stickers. Yeah. And so one day, I just we we played uh, Sucker DJs so much, I was like. I'm about sick of sucker DJs. I said, what is this other song on here? Two years ago, a friend of mine. And I remember putting on um, It's Like That mm. by Run DMC. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to it. I said, it's got a nice little beat. So I brought it to Steve. I said, Steve, you got to listen to this. So when he listened to it, he was like, that's been there the whole time. So they took them stickers off, <laughs> and we started playing stuff like that. And that's the way it is. These DJs, by ripping the stickers off the records, they were making history. People were listening, even if they didn't really know it from the studio. Here we go back to Too Tough Tony from WMSE. 
when you're 18, 19 years old on the radio, you really don't know what you have. <laughs> I, I laugh now because I look back at it and say, yeah. man, we were really we were really powerful, man. I yeah. mean, I remember walking into a jewelry store, you know, and they had a radio station on, you know, and I'm like, you guys listen to that? They go, oh, man, we love MSC 91.7. Okay. You know, when do you listen? Oh, we listen from 9 in the morning till 3 o'clock. I'm like, oh, you like the jazz show? Yeah, that guy be... You know, and then I tell them I'm too tough tone. They go, no, you're not. You know, <laughs> and they treat you different, you know? Yeah. And you do a shout out to the jewelry store, you know. Right, uh, right, Not right. for the discount. Right, right. No, not for the discount, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was just wonderful that people had you on the air, you right. know. What was the reaction like when y'all started to play this rap music, the the, the music y'all just wanted to hear? Because I, from what I hear, other stations didn't play rap music that early in the game. Like, they, they waited till like, the late 80s, yeah. early 90s. But it seems like WMSC you know was playing what? it MSC when it came out. MSC is what forced them to okay. play it, seriously. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were negative about rap music at the beginning, you know. Because it was mostly African American, it was music that came from the hood. But what people don't realize is we weren't the only ones buying it, man. The suburbs were buying it, you know. Uh, you know, the suburb American kids, the Latinos were buying it. Then the Latinos started rapping. You know, you started having Latinos from the Bronx, you know, from New York, start to rap. I mean, you know. What they thought was going to be around for a year or two, let me ask you, is it still here? <laughs> you know, 30 years later mm -hmm. and plus some, um, you know? Too Tough Tony is describing the importance that radio would have for hip-hop. It is what brought hip-hop to the people. And Marvell Love saw into that crystal ball. Before all this would happen, before even MSE hit the radio, Marvell was thinking about how his music could get to the people, and he knew the importance of hip-hop, right. and he wanted to be that first guy that would bring hip-hop to the radio to make Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. The culture in Milwaukee is ready for hip-hop. So something has to happen here in Milwaukee, and it seems like Marvell Love may be that guy to try to make it happen. And I talked to Andy Noble from the record store about what Marvell Love did. It really seemed like he, he and I, I didn't, I'm not getting this from him, but just looking at the releases, he must have consciously at some point decided to be become more of a label guy and a business guy and less of an artist because his releases under his name really kind of fizzled out. Like they, they kind of stopped coming by the time he got to the mid seventies. So he goes to the least artistic thing that you can do <laughs> in order to see what's happening next in music. He goes to a conference. What happened from what I understood. And so my information is from Brent Goodsell, who was started the get down with me when we first started. And Brent did interview informally interviewed uh, Marvell about this stuff before he passed. And what Marvell said was that he went to a convention, like a record selling convention in Chicago, I believe, or it could have been an East Coast one, but he went to a national record label, you know, industry convention around the time when Rapper's Delight came out. And someone basically said, you have to do it, like rap's going to be the new thing and you have to cut a rap record so it was a business driven decision coming from the top down <laughs> at new world records so he goes to this conference disco rap is going to happen guys we got to make some money off of we got to do it you can make money let's do it and he thinks about what group could he get to make this song for him and maybe blow up as far as like serious collectors of this music now like we have names for all these like subgenres, right so 
and and rappers delight that's called we just call it disco rap that's what it is it's really simple simple right so disco rap most of the big hit ones from the east coast were like literally you know like good times or so or like a replay sugar hill band was in there like replaying the instrumental tracks from like the famous club disco hits of the day and then they would just have guys rapping over them um like when people think of old school rap they're probably thinking of one of three or four things at this point and one is actually like the oldest school rap which is disco rap we're talking about disco rap here and uh we're gonna bring jordan lee our our hip-hop expert back into the studio here um obviously disco rap involves disco (laughs) and involves rap uh, Jordan, right. what does rap sound like in the late 70s? Because it does not exist in Milwaukee, but exists in the nation. What is it and what does it sound like? Disco showcases, disco shows, disco clubs is the only place you're really going to hear any records that have any rapping on them at this time. Fatback Band released uh, B-Side to You're My Candy called King Tim the Third. This is unanimously agreed by all you know, all music the nerds. nerds. Right. This is the first time you heard someone rapping, and I'm defining rapping as talking like this. Rapping. Fatback Band is not a rap group. They're a funk group right. that is taking a cue from what is bubbling in New York when these bootleg tapes are going around. And in the clubs, rapping is everywhere at this point in time. But no one had actually recorded rap music yet. That really parallels, you know, our story yeah. here. So we would call this disco rap is what people call this at the time. And let's qualify that. The reason this phrase even exists is rap music as it's being made in the Mm. clubs and in the projects is looping two records back and forth while an MC rhymes over them. Engineers and recording studios had no concept of this being a thing. There wasn't drum machines yet at this point in our timeline. So what you're doing is when you want to make a recording of what we were calling rap music at the time or hip-hop music at the time, they're taking a funk band, they're having them reinterpret a funk break or a disco break, Mm. and then rappers are recording over that. That's the exact story of how Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight was created. So this is what this is what Marvell is thinking about when he hears that hip hop is the next big thing. Is that this kind of disco rap feel is what's coming up down the pi- or coming down the pipeline? Well, that was a success story for Sylvia Robinson. Sylvia Robinson created Sugar Hill Records as an idea after going to a New York disco and seeing rap music. And Sugar Hill Gang was a made up group that Sylvia put together for Sugar Hill Records in 1979. So he is just kind of reproducing exactly what happened in New York. You know, this thing was happening in the club, and then Sylvia put together this record label to manufacture what was going on there. So Marvell Love, he's got a record label in Milwaukee, yep. and so he goes to this conference, he hears about rap, and then he comes back to Milwaukee to see if he can do the same. This thing. this sounds like this should work. I mean, it's already yeah. kind of kind of already kind of working. So it sounds like it should work in Milwaukee. So who is Marvell Love gonna get to record Milwaukee's first hip hop song? Well, he's got a band in mind. Yeah, the band is the Majestics. Make sure you're the mic. Sure you're the uh, mic. Yeah. Are we on now? Yeah, we are. Oh, we're I'm just, sorry about that. It's all good. We just got the Majestics are this funk band that is styled a la Milwaukee's Harvey Scales and James Brown. 
they want to be as successful as Marvel Love wants to be successful. We have a shared idea of success here, and they are kind of perfect for each other. You know, Marvel, he, you know, he's a good man because he had a lot of people on his label. You know, he was just trying to build a, a record company like Motown, mm-hmm. you know, Barry Gordon. That's how he was. That's Tony Washington. He is the front man of the Majestics. And so Marvel approaches them to make this song. But the Majestics have zero interest in hip hop. I ain't give a damn. <laughs> you know, because we weren't into rap. And see, we right. were forced to go into it. And I guess if you've been making music for 15, 20 years, you've been making funk, you've seen the success of James Brown, you've built your band off of this, you probably don't want to change it up into this new thing. You don't know if it's even going to exist or not after five, six years. And it's totally just not who they are. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like they they entertain and they saw, you know, they could see rap as they thought it was the fad that everyone right. else thought it was. And they already went through this. They already saw James Brown and said, oh, I've connected to this. I'm young. This is the new music of my day. And we're going to do this. And they're very successful at it. They're great at it. They know how to play all these instruments. They see hip hop. There is no bands. You know what I'm saying? There's no live bands at the hip hop shows yet. Yeah. They're just rapping over a track. And they're like, no, we want to make some do what we do. Yeah. So they're, they're kind of getting put into this bind of like, ah, I guess, you know, we'll make it. And the Majestics are Still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> they are They are not the Majestics anymore. They are Chocolate Ice 2. Don't Google that. The <laughs> best name in the game. Right. They perform at Club Timbuktu. They performed at weddings. They performed yeah. at street festivals. They are still at it, making, yeah, making this R&B funk music. In the next episode, we are going to get the Majestics in a room, and we are going to ask them point blank what they think about making Milwaukee's first hip-hop song. This is the groove for the year. We're coming at you loud and clear. Our sounds are strong. Our funk is too. We play our song just for you. We are down and we're Hey, this is Backspin executive producer Nate Imig. We thank you for listening, and we've got some thank yous to do ourselves. Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip-hop song, is hosted by Tyrone Miller and Justin Barney, produced by Jordan Lee and Kenny Perez, with segment producing by Salam Fatayer. Evan Retleski does our web content. Sarah McClanahan is 88.9's marketing director with social media managed by Amelinda Burrich. Digital distribution by Tariq Moody. Aaron Bagata is our marketing coordinator. Community outreach by Peter Adams and Maddie Reardon. Project management support by Laura Kesman. And animation from Lucas Seidel. Also want to thank our interns, Zoe Knox, Anthony Massans, and Jonathan Hudson. Of course, a big thanks to our partners, RevPop, the License Lab, Hip Hop Week MKE, and Kid Millions. He dug up all that amazing vinyl that you hear in the podcast. Also, thanks to our media partners on Milwaukee, Breaking and Entering, and the Milwaukee Times. You can stream all six episodes of Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip hop song, on all major podcast platforms, and of course at radiomilwaukee.org slash backspin. Backspin, the search for Milwaukee's first hip hop song, is an original podcast production of 88.9 Radio Milwaukee. You know, and people didn't believe that we were the first one that came up with the first rap record in the state of Wisconsin. They didn't believe that once we done. We was the first one.